So a couple of weeks ago, I was doing some reading, and uh, the first service was kind of shocked that I did reading, but um, I do. And uh, as I was reading, one of the things I read about was that there was an article that said 15 worst drinks you can drink that you can take in. And I was shocked that there are bad things that you can put in your body. Because, I mean, with this felt body that I've got, I mean, there's no way that you could take in bad things, right? Only healthy things. And so here I am. I'm thinking about these 15 bad drinks. And did you know that Diet Coke or Diet Dr. Pepper is not good for you? Then why is it called Diet Coke? It should be called anti-Diet Coke, right? So if it really does what it does, Diet Coke or Diet Dr. Pepper actually tricks your brain and makes you crave more sugar. So it actually works opposite. How many of you knew that um, monster drinks are bad for you? Okay, yeah, that's the only thing I don't drink is a monster drink or Red Bull or whatever. If it's got to give you wings or turns you into another thing, I don't want it, all right? But now, who would have known that sweet tea was not healthy? Come on now. I mean, even like, and I found this out after I just got my mega mug from Hank's. That you can go refill whenever you want to. And I'm like, I am fired up. I can go through Hanks. I don't even have to buy anything. I can just go through the drive-thru and I get a mega cup of sweet tea and life is good. Because, I mean, you know, like at 2 o'clock, you're down on your day. Whatever is, is not going. You've got your workout, all that different stuff. And you're like, you need to pick me up. And Hanks sweet tea will get you going. Sweet tea and Jesus. That's all you need, right? Okay. And maybe a little coffee too. Who knows? But... I was thinking about all this stuff, and then I thought about the monster drinks a little bit more, and I thought, man, that is like why teenagers, it's like the drink for teens, like they got to get through their day. And so I was reading up on that stuff, and it is literally like going to H-E-B or Walmart, walking down the sugar aisle, buying you a pound of sugar, and just like going, like shugging that stuff down your throat. Uh, It's nasty. I've tasted one, it is nasty, and that's kind of what it would be like is just to take in sugar. There are things that are bad for you, and even though they're bad for you, we still crave them. Amen? All right, what are some of the things, this is one of the days that you can talk back to me, not that you don't normally, but that you can talk back to me and you have permission, all right? What are some of the things that you crave that are not good for you? Pizza, that's good for you. Actually, that's one of the healthiest things that you can eat because it's got all those different things. So you're good. You're good to go. You go home and you buy all the Totinos you want. Okay. All right. What else? Zebra cakes. Strawberry shortcakes. That's actually good. It's got fruit. What else? Huh? Fried chicken. That's healthy. I mean, you guys are learning a lot about health today. Y'all are going to be fine. Okay. This is y'all's problem. Y'all don't know what's healthy. Somebody said something over here that sounded bluebell. Amen, brother. Hallelujah. Woo, yes, that is healthy. It's got milk in it. That's good for you, okay? I mean, you know you're, you're in good times when you've got Bluebell. There are things that we taste and we crave and we want it. Because, listen, we, we know that Bluebell, ultimately, we can have a little taste of it. And you can get a little scoop, and it tastes good, and it's refreshing. And you're like, ah, this is fine. I can do it. And then the next thing you know, you've got all the different flavors. So you got vanilla. you got the Dutch chocolate. you got the Rocky Road. you got the... Blueberry cobbler, you got the peach cobbler, you got all the banana split and all those different things. So you got all of them and then you walk down the aisle again and you see there's a new flavor and you convince yourself that you need it, you know, cause you're craving bluebell, right? And so there's things that we just crave. 
Well, this morning I want us to think about what are the things that we crave in life that are healthy and not healthy. So if you have your Bibles, as we continue our series on Bless This Home, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 is teaching his disciples. He's drawn them in and he's teaching them. And he's teaching them the basics of the faith, of what does it mean to be a follower or disciple of Jesus. And one of the things that he talks about are what are the things that you as disciples of Jesus, what are we hungry for? What are we craving? What are we wanting? And so here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus digs into that. So if you haven't been here over the last few weeks or you missed maybe a couple of weeks, as we're still in Matthew. So Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And here Matthew is gathered in. He's teaching at this moment where Jesus and his disciples have come and literally have sat before him. And he's teaching them the basics of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so he said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those. Anyone else remember? Blessed are those who mourn. Okay, but they will receive comfort. So we're there. We're about halfway through. And so the first few blessed, the first few beatitudes actually have to do with our attitude and our relationship between us and God or us and Jesus. And the next few will have to do with our relationship with ourselves and with others. And so this is very similar actually to the Ten Commandments. If you're to flip back over to Exodus chapter 20 some other time this week, look over at Exodus chapter 20. And the very first thing that God deals with is that in this Ten Commandments is he deals with our relationship with him. And then based upon our relationship with him, how that's going will actually impact our relationship with other people. And so here Jesus as a follow, is talking to his, his followers and as he's teaching them, he's saying the very first things has to do with how our relationship with, with him is, that that's established. What's our home built upon, the foundation of Jesus and how we do relationships is built upon that. That will then, therefore, impact our relationships with those around us. So here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says to the disciples, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What's for dinner? Usually at our house at 4.30 in the afternoon, both of our kids could be on other sides of the world. And like at 4.30, like at clockwork, we both, Becky and I both get this text, and the text says this, what's for dinner? You know what I mean? Y'all ever had that? It's like their guts are in unison together, and all of a sudden they know that it's time to ask that question. What's for dinner? And we could have told them. We could have written it in stone. We could have texted them. We could have done all kinds of different stuff, all that different thing. But we're still going to get that question, what's for dinner? And so that's what Jesus is asking us this evening, is what this morning, is what is for dinner? Usually in the scripture, whenever this idea of hunger and thirsting after something, after something, it's part of. Like, I want a part of the bread. I want a part of the water. But here in Matthew chapter 5, there's this uniqueness to this passage is that Jesus says, listen, whenever you hunger and thirst after righteousness, that you're not hungering and thirsting after a part of the bread. You're not hungering and thirsting after a part of the water. You're hungering and thirsting for all of it. In other words, you want the entire meal. You see the loaf of bread and you're like, don't just give me a slice. I want the entire thing. And so Jesus is telling his disciples is when you get a taste of who I am and what I'm about, you're not going to hunger and thirst for just a piece. You're going to want the whole meal. You're going to want the entire thing. So what's for dinner whenever we get into a relationship with Jesus? We don't want just a taste because we've tasted already and we've seen that he's good, right? He's already shown us that. And so now that we've tasted and we've seen, we want to dive in. So some of you, the first time that you had something like Bluebell, you've tasted and seen it's good, and you're like, let's bathe in this. 
Like, let's just jump into this ooey goodness and let's just enjoy it. And that's what it's like for us is that in that moment that we know, that we've tasted and we've seen, we're like, this is good. I want more of this. I cannot get enough. As a matter of fact, Paul even talks about this in First Timothy. Um, in First Timothy, chapter Second Timothy, chapter one, verse twelve, he says, "I know whom that I have believed," and he's talking about Jesus. And as we've talked about a few times in the past few weeks, the past few months, this idea of knowing Jesus isn't just an intellectual knowledge, but it's entire experiential knowledge. That it is like jumping into the deep and that you immerse yourself in Jesus. So in that moment that you jump into the deep, that you get to know and experience. And you don't fully understand it, but you have this deeper knowledge of Jesus. Not just experience, not just head knowledge, but an experiential because you've tasted and seen. But then the next level of that is in um, Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want this experiential, I've, I've experienced a relationship of beginning. It's like walking up to someone for the first time and shaking their hand and saying, hand and saying, hey, I'm Chris and you are John. And in that moment, you know one another and you begin a relationship. You begin that moment of, of knowledge and begin to kind of dig deeper into who this person is over a cup of coffee, over a meal or something. And that, that introduction happens. But then as you get to know them, you want to experience knowing them a little bit more. And so you have another meal with them or you do things and have build, build a relationship together so you can get to know one another. And so in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, that initial knowledge and experience, but because of that meeting and because of that, what that was, I want to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings. Now, that's a deep experiential knowledge of the Savior, of saying, listen, I have met Jesus and I've gotten to know him, I've tasted and I've seen, and because I've tasted and I've seen, I've seen that I can trust and that I want to, in this trust, I want to go to an even deeper level of relationship and I want to participate in the resurrection and even in the sufferings. That's a deeper walking with him and becoming like him even in his death. So this movement of, hey, I've tasted and I've seen and I know him, but then also that gets me to a deeper walk, and I want to know a little bit more about Jesus. And as a matter of fact, I want to become like him and understand what it means to walk in his sufferings. I want to understand what it means to be persecuted. I've tasted and I've seen, and I want more. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 6. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In other words, it's this idea that he completely satisfies, but I'm going to want more. Man, I mean, how many of y'all have ever been at Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving's coming up. Some of you, we, are, we already started talking about it at our house this week. And so we're already, like Pavlov's dog, we're already starting to salivate, you know, for sweet potato pie and all those different things, right? Broccoli rice casserole or, or um, the real cranberry salad that has the ridges, you know, those things. I mean, you're starting to crave that stuff, right? And so... But you remember those moments, too, that you've had those moments of Thanksgiving and you've, like, seen the buffet and you put a little bit of everything on there and you're like, oh, this is good stuff. And then you remember that experience afterwards that you're like, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't have eaten that last little bit. Why did I go back for seconds or thirds or fourths or whatever? And so, like, that's at noon, okay? And so that carries you from noon to 2 o'clock. And then you get up from your comatose and the cowboy's losing. And then you get up from that and you're like, man, I'm hungry. 
Right? And you're like, how in the world can I be hungry? Because I just stuffed myself. I just gorged myself. I just overate. I've tasted and I've seen all this stuff is good. And now just a few hours later, I was satisfied. But now I want more. That that's exactly this picture is that we are, whenever we hunger and thirst, we don't want just part of the bread. We want the whole loaf. And so we're like taking it in to the point of literally being gorged. And we're satisfied. We're like, man, it can't get any better. And then God says, yes, it can. You can hunger and thirst for even more. We're just continually craving. It's so much better than Golden Corral. I mean, Golden Corral's, that's nasty stuff. Okay? The buffet of God of just going and sitting before him. I am the bread of life. Hunger and thirst for me. I want more of this. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest truths of the, of the faith is this. Is that that moment that we say yes to Jesus... At that moment that we say, when we're poor in spirit, we realize that we are spiritually bankrupt and we cannot afford to influence God in any way to enter into heaven or to enter into a relationship with him. At that moment, when we recognize that and then say yes to what Jesus did on the cross for us, at that moment, in the courtroom of God, we are legally justified. We are legally declared righteous. We are legally declared right before God. So you can see on that slide there before. So then that moment you are justified. The, the gavel of God comes down as a great judge and he says, because of Christ, because of your acceptance of what he did on the cross, he therefore stands in your plate and he is declared justified because of you saying yes to him. So it's just as if I'd never sinned. In that moment, it's just as if I'd never sinned. I am justified through Christ and I am made right because of what Christ did on the cross and my saying yes to him, my introduction to him and saying yes to him. But then also here's this other cool thing is that in that moment, yes, we're declared right with God. But then also the second thing is that this begins our process of becoming like him. So like Paul says, yes, I know him. But as I've gotten to know him in this moment, I've been declared right. Now my desires, now my cravings are to know more of him, even the sufferings, even the the power of the resurrection, all these different things that I'm experiencing, getting to know, this is working out my salvation. So from this moment of being justified, it also begins the process of being sanctified so that as I begin my walk and do life, more and more I crave for him, more and more I crave the things that he provides. And so now we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. What it means, again, to have a taste and that, man, it satisfies, but I want more. I keep coming back. To the dinner table of God because he only brings the best wine. He only brings the best stuff to the Thanksgiving table. And then the other cool thing is that not only are we justified and made right in that moment, not only does it begin our process of, of growing, becoming more like him and working out our salvation, but also at that very moment we are glorified, which is this interesting idea in the Greek language that in that moment you are made holy Okay, that you are made complete, and when the God looks at you, he looks at you as perfect and holy and without fault. However, we're like, but we're working this whole thing out, but we're glorified because this is also our future. And so in that moment, you're declared right. In that moment, your relationship with him begins to be worked out. But also, in that moment, you are glorified, and he sees you in your future glory. In that moment when life ends and you are with him. So you can see that you have a dot. That's our justified. You can see the sanctified. There's the dot and the movement, and that little line is that that's your dash on your on your headstone that's going to say 1945 to 1985, whatever that is. And there's that dash in between. When that dash happens, 
you're then at that moment into glorification and you're in relationship. And so then the fullness of who God is, is in your part. So it's this wonderful picture of what God does in that moment of, hey, listen, we crave. We stop and we're made right. And because we experience the amazing grace, we then crave to grow holy. And then there's those moments where we're like, man, I cannot wait to experience the fullness of God. It's that as yet, but not yet. The present, but also the future. It's a beautiful image for us of working out. Righteousness. It's an ongoing, intense desire, almost a painful desire to see God's standards established and obeyed in our life. That there's this, there's this gut pain within us that we crave the things of God. And as we crave the things of God, we want God's rule and God's kingdom to be established in our life. And we pursue those things. And so we, we get a taste and it satisfies. And then like, oh, I need more. And so this constant growing, this constant desire for more of who God is and what he's about. And literally it says that I hunger and thirst for his righteousness so that I might be filled. It's literally the word means gorge. Okay, so it is that Thanksgiving feeling of or whatever, the whatever that you've had and you've just taken in so much food and you're just like, oh, I cannot take one more bite. Listen, whenever we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we received it, we are full, and we are satisfied. Here's the difference between us as followers of Jesus, whenever we're seeking after the things of God, and when we're not seeking after the things of God. The things that are not of God, they're tempting. Sweet tea, bluebell, fried chicken, water burger, whatever it is. You seek after those things and you may crave them. It may satisfy for a moment, but also you also know, not the best for me. And actually not really filling, but kind of maybe filling for a little bit, but a moment of feeling, but also like "Mm," you can just know that it's not the best for you, right? And so that's what this is about life too, is that there are things in life that we try to stuff in our mouths, we try to stuff into our life that we think will temporarily bring satisfaction, but they don't. That's how we end up into addiction. That's how we end up into things that are not life-giving as we continue to pursue these things and we think that they're going to bring, for a moment, they're going to bring purpose, for a moment that they're going to be filling. And the next thing you know, we take them in and we're like, oh. And then there's that feeling afterwards, that feeling of shame, pain, regret, whatever, that those things that come along with it. And for us as followers of Jesus... We've tasted and we've seen that the Lord is good. We've tasted and we've seen that whatever he provides for us is the best. And sometimes we get distracted. And in those moments that we get distracted, we get over here and we think, just this one time, this thing that's never been life-giving before, this one time, this burger will actually provide the results of an apple. And as ridiculous as that sounds... We rationalize and we justify our sins the same way. And our neighbors are looking and watching. And they're going to those things over and over and over again and looking for something to provide life. And for us to hunger and thirst after his rightness. To know that time after time, if we sit down at the the table of God and we enjoy the best wine, we enjoy the best meat, we enjoy the best foods that he provides, it will not only satisfy, but will have developed cravings for even more of it. But so many times, people, 
so many times. We walk past the table of God, past the restaurant, past the great chef, and we walk past the kitchen, and we go out into the alley, and we go for scraps. And we get the junk. We get the leftovers. And we believe that we're not worthy of sitting at the table of God. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to understand that in that moment when you said yes, it had nothing to do with you to begin with. So as we even sang about, it's not about who I am, it's about who you are. And so because of you are the good, good father, I know that you want me to sit at the best table. And that our identity is in our relationship with Christ and that our identity is not in what we do or how much we make or our social status or whatever it is. Our identity is in Christ and Christ alone and at our seat at his table. And that he pulls out a seat for us and he wants us to sit and to dine with him. That he wants us to hunger and thirst after his righteousness, which is the best food available. And that too many times that we look at the chair whenever he pulls it out and we say to him, we are not good enough to dine with you. And he says, you're my child. I've got a place, a nameplate right here with your name. Don't walk out to the junk. Don't walk out to the things that you think you can afford that don't satisfy. Sit in my seat and enjoy my food. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after his rightness. For only in those things will you be satisfied and will you be filled. Let's pray together. Dearly Father, thank you for the the dinner table that you provide. Thank you for the food that only that only tastes great. It has great benefits for our soul and for our heart and for our mind and for life and provides the energy, the dynamic energy that we need through the Holy Spirit to do the things that you want us to do. To live the life that we can fully experience. Father, I pray for each one of us in this room that we would quit settling for junk food, that we would quit settling for leftovers and scraps, but that, Father, that we would sit at your table and that we would enjoy the bounty of your feast. For, Father, just even a little bit of good food is satisfying and fulfilling. Father, may we sit and eat with you this morning, this week. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.